you know, I was just trying to manage to make sure that they built it correctly, right? But I didn't manage the waste. But what I saw was that it was so much usable waste. I actually dragged the whole lot out of the dumpster every day that I was there, <laughs> thinking I could use that at some point. Welcome to the Passive House podcast, brought to you by Passive House Accelerator, a catalyst for zero carbon building. For news, inspiration, and connections from all flavors of Passive House, check out PassiveHouseAccelerator.com. Sign up to receive regular updates about events, get your questions answered, and contribute to the community dialogue. There's loads of free information for experienced professionals and people just starting out on their Passive House journey. We hope to see you at one of our weekly Passive House Accelerator live webinars. You can also check out our Reimagined Buildings YouTube channel for some great inspiration for both building new or renovating. In the meantime, here's this week's Passive House podcast. G'day, welcome back to the Passive House podcast. I'm Matthew Cutler-Welsh coming to you from Tamaki, Makoto, Auckland. And I'm Zach Semke coming to you from Seattle, Washington. How's things in Seattle? Uh, they're good. They're good. I, I, um, we've been thinking a lot about New Zealand and Australia um, because of the Women's World Cup. And um, I am um, very sad that the U.S. and Japan are both out and that Sweden. Japan was I good. Know. I had no idea Japan was so such a good uh, football team. Oh, yeah. They have a great, great women's program. Yeah. Sweden has become the villain in our household for knocking both those teams out. We we have in our office here. We have uh, some someone in my team from Nigeria. We have someone uh, who just joined us recently who is Swedish. We've got a couple of um, British people, a couple of Australians. Um, so yeah, we're we're very diverse. I don't think we've got any Spanish people here. Uh, so um, we've we've been very much enjoying. Uh, oh, we've got people from the Netherlands, um, Germany, uh, yeah, all, all over. So it's been it's been great. Uh, and I tell you what, the the games have been uh, the whole tournament's just been it's been great. It's been great seeing people back in, in big crowds, um, getting behind um, sport and and women's sport uh, from around the world. And it's been it's been really cool just to see the an organisation like FIFA. Come here uh, and spread the love around, and, and have so many venues around Australia and New Zealand um, participating, and, and uh, you know, seeing lots of people out and about, um, and, and just really family friendly uh, atmosphere at the games as well. I, I've been to two and taken my uh, kids along uh, both times, uh, and it's just it's been great. That's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, also been uh, been busy doing uh, some other stuff in the in the building industry here. There's been some uh, very interesting uh, other events on, which have been uh, part of. So it's been been quite fun uh, for learning of new people, uh, new new groups of people that uh, haven't really had much to do with in the past, um, and from from different communities. And there has been some interest in their. Uh, about Passive House as well, which has been really encouraging um, because, yeah, we, we kind of think of uh, the building industry here as um, just, just one big group of people. In some ways they are, but there are different cultures within that industry that are, are doing different things. So um, I've enjoyed meeting people, uh, new people, uh, who then suddenly start talking about passive house, which has is, is, is been great. So very promising for, for the future. 
yeah, that's that that is refreshing. All right. Uh, well, we've got uh, something a little bit different today. Uh, chat that you had um, with a a, a firm um, about circular economy, about a bit about recycling and uh, and just doing things better. And I, I really enjoy this this interview uh, chat about um, just the way we look at resources and materials and thinking about uh, how to be uh, a, a bit better. At, um, at reclaiming things at the end of life. But before we get into that, uh, we've got some people to thank for the podcast. Indeed. So a big thank you to our founding sponsors, 475 High Performance Building Supply, Baxt Ingui Architects, Glavel, Minitair, Mitsubishi Electric Train HVAC US, Partel, Rockwell North America, Stocorp, and Zola Windows. Thanks too to our champion sponsors, Bewizo, Gradient, Icon Windows and Doors, Intelligent Membranes, PH Airseal, Prosico, and Source 2050. And a big shout out to our stakeholder partner, NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. So in my lounge room in our house here in Auckland, the, we have these uh, cabinets, which um, my dad and I um put these, these doors on to, to create a cabinet. And those cabinet doors actually come from a house that we lived in in Christchurch. Uh, and that house ended up getting demolished after the Canterbury earthquakes in 2011. Um, and the, those doors kind of disappeared for a while. We, we, we went down and sort of um, stored a stuff, bunch of stuff away. And, uh, and eventually they found their way back to us through an interesting set of circumstances of people that are traveling um, to and from Christchurch, um, sat in our garage for a while, and then me and Dad decided that we should uh, reuse them. And I thought of those cabinets as I was listening to this this conversation because it it reminded me of uh, well that that project that I, I did with my dad and those, those cabinets that I see every day in my home, and it reminds me of of our our first house in Christchurch. Um, and I, I get the sense that um, that a lot of that takes place in um, in, in Wayne Turret's work. Uh, you know, he, he's a bit of a collector uh, and likes to repurpose products and materials in building projects where, wherever he he can. So I, I really enjoyed this. Um, did you want to say anything about any more anything more about Wayne before we get into the interview? Well, yeah. So Wayne Turret is the um, owner of the Turret Collaborative, and uh, he has created this really wonderful project called the Greenport Passive House, which is his own house. Um, and through that experience um, and his passion for uh, reuse of materials and thinking about uh, waste streams and and um, the circular economy, uh, I think has learned a bunch. Um, and I think, I think he's sort of emblematic of a lot of practitioners out there who are thinking about all these different, basically resource efficiency and, and mm-hmm. how to, how to, and, and so they're, you know, on the energy, you know, past house is that there, but there are all these other elements to that. And so it was really fun to, to hear about that journey and, um, you know, grounded in, in a, in a real project and some of the kind of challenges and, and then how he was, um, finding solutions to them. All right, let's get into it. 
Welcome, Wayne Turret. You're founder and principal of the Turret Collaborative, and we are super excited to have you on the Pass podcast. Uh, nice to be here, Zach. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I know that you have been doing a lot of thinking um, based on your personal experience in in the kind of in the dirt about the circular economy and um, construction waste um, and and passive house and there's a this this really interesting I think um, kind of connection between resource efficiency which is and and efficiency in general which is what passive house is about and the circular economy but I think that probably a lot of us could be thinking more kind of clearly about that so I'm 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 looking forward to you illuminating that for us a bit today um but before we do that, maybe we could just start with a little bit about you and um, the Turret Collaborative. As, even as a kid, I was always inventive and making things. I always made models and things like that. And as I got older, I had a connection in the construction industry in New York City. So I was a carpenter on high-rise construction buildings. I made the formwork for concrete. So they'd pour the concrete and then we'd do the next floor and the next floor. And basically it was, um, I did it in the summer times for about seven, eight years. And, um, you know, it was fast paced. These guys were pushing, pushing, pushing. We did two and a half floors a week. Uh, I've topped off a few 30 story buildings. Um, wow. Wow. and then I also went to, uh, college and I explored art classes. I was always good in math, but I didn't know that I was okay in art. Uh, so I explored some art classes and really liked it. And, and, you know, architecture was a challenge. And so I liked challenges. And so I went into architecture school and then I came out and, um, you know, and I was always a little bit entrepreneurial. So. After working for architects for a few years, I launched my own firm, and that was in '91. Yeah, yeah. So, and in the in '91, passive house wasn't part of the landscape yet, really. I mean, uh, there were some proto proto passive house work happening in in Canada and elsewhere, and I think it was about to about to get going in in Germany in those early days. Where was sustainability part of the deal, or for you, and or was that something that grew as you were practicing? I was always fascinated with things like that, you know, being resourceful. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but um, there was a journal put out by Stuart Brand called the Whole Earth Catalog. Oh yes, I do remember the Whole but, Earth Catalog. Yeah, and. And I was fascinated. I still have my whole earth catalogs. Yeah. And in the whole earth catalog, there was a lot of DIY stuff. And, you know, but back in the seventies, we had the gas crisis and architects became very, you know, resourceful and basically making energy efficient homes and things like that. And whether I'm correct or not, I like to think that what happened is that in America, fuel got cheap again so we became you know mcmansion builders again so uh but in germany it continued to blossom yeah and um in germany they ultimately developed the passive house system which is a very easy system to follow um a lot easier than lead 
I mean, this is interesting that the, I, I know the whole earth catalog because my dad subscribed to it. And so I grew up, I mean, I, I was, I was, I was born in, in the early seventies and, and so it was around the house and my dad was a builder and, and was, um, I think, you know, dabbling kind of in, he was doing a lot of custom homes and dabbling in, in passive solar design, um, and, and construction, um, you know, kind of before this, the building physics had gotten to this level that it, that it, it is at, at now. Um, so it sounds like there's a, maybe some, some, uh, similar kind of experience for you. I think so. Yeah. 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 It sounds like it. Yeah. It seems though that, you know, the passive house couldn't come about or maybe it came about and this was developed, but because it requires such a sealed up envelope back in the seventies, if we sealed the envelope up, we ended up with sick building syndrome, yeah, right? Right, exactly. And yeah. and it wasn't until the advent of the ERV that mm-hmm. we were able to overcome sick building syndrome and still seal up the buildings. So I don't know when, like for instance, I've used Zender uh, products, uh, and I don't know how long they've been in business, but you know, without without that product, uh, we're kind of not able to do. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's interesting to kind of see this progression to passive house and and um, as both. I mean, I think that you're right that there are these really important um, mechanic, you know, component innovations that, that have happened, and, and then also just this series of pr- problem solving. Like, oh, we if we if we um, mess with this part of the system, then there, there's this other impact, and so kind of understand, right, you know, this right. growing realization about all of those interconnections, and then how to to um, manage heat and moisture <laughs> to right, to, exactly. to avoid that the, those issues. And then lo and behold, you have you you have a passive house or something very close to it. Speaking of passive house, I, I think you recently completed your um, Greenpoint New York house. Uh, it's a, it, and we'll include a, a link to it in the show notes. It's a beautiful um, house of yours, um, and that gave you a different insight, or or maybe a, a more kind of intimate insight into what's going on with construction materials and construction waste. Um, so maybe could you start by t- telling us about that that project and um, maybe a little bit about how you were dealing with reuse and recycling? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. And uh, I'll give you a pass on this, but um, because you're in the other part of the country, it's Greenport. Oh, okay, Greenport. <laughs> Thank you. Greenpoint <laughs> is actually in Brooklyn. Ah, <laughs> got it. Thank right. you. Thank you. So, uh, in Greenport, uh, I did this uh, passive house for myself, and it was the first time. So, there's a big learning curve. But I have to admit, it's where I first realized the waste and potential of recycling and construction. Um, the amount of, you know, I was just trying to manage to make sure that they built it correctly, right? But I didn't manage the waste. But what I saw was that it was so much usable waste. I actually dragged the whole lot out of the dumpster every day that I was there, <laughs> thinking I could use that at some point, right? Um, and, you know, I'm a dumpster diver from way back. You know, that's just my mentality. That's just my personality. I like being able to find things and reuse them and make them into something else. So, it, you know, pulling them out of the dumpster wasn't that crazy. 
My wife still thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> Mine too, so. <laughs> uh, you know, and over the years, I've saved many appliances from projects that were demolished. And, you know, in New York City, there's a lot of really good stuff that comes out of apartments and townhouses that are still very usable. So in my basement, in another house, I used to collect all these things. I still have a couple of, you know, range hoods and things like that. But uh, if you need one, tell me. Okay. Um, but I would, I would find light fixtures and plumbing fixtures from other projects. And in, and in my house, I reused a lot of light fixtures and I reused a lot of appliances in the house. Um, and then uh, later on, I actually, from some of the stuff I took out of the dumpster, I made a shed. That looks a bit like the house. Yeah, no, I saw that. Um, it's a cool, yeah. cool space. It's like a, maybe like a writing studio or something back there. Yeah. And, and you know, the roof came from the extra roof stuff. The siding right. came from the extra siding. So I was able to reuse a lot of that stuff. Um, and the problem I saw was that there was no sorting. You know, everything went into one big dumpster. And I've called the local um, hauler, the local, local sanitation company. They're basically out there. It's pretty remote from New York City. There aren't that many different, um, uh, not recycling, but basically dumpster companies. Anyway, I spoke to them about, you know, sorting and, you know, and what do you do with this stuff? And they said, well, we're just a small mom and pop sort of company we take everything to our yard and then we have a company haul it off and they put it in some some ground uh somewhere right um and you know my thinking is that if you were able to at least sort out the wood from everything else you might be able to you know reuse that stuff or there's lots of things like partial rolls of roofing there's nails, there's screws, there's, you know, half-used um, taping compound, five-gallon buckets. Uh, all that stuff could still be used. I also I have a dock, and I dredged it, which is kind of a long story, but um, with a lot of regulation. But basically, I dredged it, and I sent all the dredge material to a facility that reuses it, that sorts it out and become used to be used in roads, hmm. road construction. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and in our projects going back to 1999, we've used timber from buildings that we demolished or partially demolished for flooring, for stair treads, and for furniture. So we've tried to, you know, do this over the years. You know, one of the things that you shared with me before we had this conversation was that stat from the EPA saying that um, construction waste in the U.S. amounts to two times um, uh, municipal solid waste. So I think, you know, we we tend to think about gar the garbage and where our garbage goes, um, right. but, but the, the construction waste kind of is clearly dwarfing this, that. Um, so this is a, you know, a, a kind of a pretty significant societal problem. So let, let's, could you tell, tell us a little bit, I mean, I think a lot of people know when they hear circular economy, they, they kind of, they know what it is, but like, could you 
describe um, the circular economy and and how you see architects kind of interacting with that economy and mm-hmm. you know based on this experience sure sure i mean in my mind this what you're referring to as circular economy is sort of being able to take the materials build a house a building take the leftover materials reuse it in some way so it, it's always you know being used always being brought back i think that architects could play a role, a leadership role in this. For instance, in the specifications in our projects, uh, could we not, you know, specify that the waste gets sorted? Could we not specify that, you know, appliances that are removed from renovations be um, repurposed into a reuse facility that other people can take and use? Um, I think it could be that we uh, are the agents of change here. Maybe not the only agents. I mean, I think that for something like this kind of thing to happen requires a kind of concerted effort by lots of different um, professionals and the attitudes of people. Um, for instance, I have a project out east that the client was insistent that the old kitchen cabinets find a place, not in landfill. Right. In, in someone's home. Um, you know, that kind of attitude from a client is rare. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, if more people can change and think that way, I think that we could start to turn around. I mean, think about, think about the composting. In New York City now, we're going to start to compost. Like someone will pick it up. In New York City, take our take our food waste and compost it. That's kind of a sea change, don't you think? Um, and I'm sure Seattle is way ahead of us, right? When it comes to that. Um, and uh, you know, I think that we could basically help make this happen. Yeah, that's a good point. That there's there are a lot of players here. I think that the other thing that curious to talk a little bit about the the economics uh, of things, and there, I think there's probably a cost to bear, but also you know there's also there's value in this material. But kind of beyond the the cost question or considerations are also this kind of intangible that uh, kind of uh, soul <laughs> or value that this that having reclaimed cabinets can can bring to to some somebody's you know um new new build or 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 retrofit and our we we live in a, an old not yet passive house uh far from it at this point um 1905 um house in Seattle and the previous owners um their family home they're like their extended family family's home in Wisconsin was being was was uh, condemned with uh, because there was a a um, highway expansion that was going on. So they dismantled this this house and actually put some of the built ins and interior trim and stuff on a uh, rail car and shipped it to Seattle, which is kind wow. of crazy in yeah. some ways. I mean, it just because I, I think that there was just this emotional um connection and bond they had with the with the house that they grew up in and um and and 
installed it into their DIY remodel of of the house before before we bought it. And so there's a story there that is, um, you know, kind of touching. And and you know, we see that every you know, it's this cool piece of our of our living room and and um, trim around our house. I mean, our house is it's a modest little place, but it has this human story written in the materials that that are surround us, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I thought of something else. I mean, um, you know, to pick up where I left off. I mean, the other thing that is necessary is that codes need to, uh, and you mentioned something about cost. I mean, yeah, so it is going to cost a little bit more. Clients, if you leave it up to you know people, they're going to say we don't want it to cost more. We don't want to pay for it. But you know, if you look at the way codes have gone over the years in terms of energy. Um, you know, 20 years ago, if I said, I want to super insulate your house and I want to use triple glazed windows and all that stuff, they would have said that that's going to cost you. But now codes are making us do it anyway. And they can't, it's not discretionary. Anymore. And so if they can actually create codes to deal with construction waste, and I don't think it could happen, you know, day one, the whole thing, but you know, I'm of the mind that you can't make the enemy the perfect the enemy of the good. You have to you have to take steps. Good point. And there's an interesting parallel there too, because um, one of the other things that goes on is when code mandates something like um, you know higher performing buildings, then the cost of the components ends up going down because there's suddenly there's demand and there's scale and there are lots yeah, of players. Right. There's competition. There's innovation. All those sorts of things. And um, you know, I think clearly we need that in the kind of uh, um reclamate construction uh, material reclamation space as well mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. because i imagine it can take a lot of time to f- try just find anybody who'll take this something you know and and right. eventually there will be more than more than one spot there'll be lots of players hopefully and um a you know this kind of established uh, supply chain and and system for for some of the materials that you're that you're discussing, and and there is some, uh, there are some there are some uh, facilities that actually will recycle things. They'll grind up everything, <laughs> and, and and they'll make it into something uh, that's usable, uh, which is which is a start. Um, you know, Habitat for Humanity has a store where you can you know bring your appliances and things like that. Um, in another podcast I was in, there was um, a woman uh, named Tracy, Tracy Stevens, that emailed me about all these different resources. And if you want, I'll send you that. Maybe you could. Oh, yeah. We, no, we, totally. We can include it in the show notes. That's great. She, she does uh, kitchens and all that. And she, she did a great job. And, and what she does sounds like great. I don't understand how she does it, but she does it. Well, so what's going on next for you? What, what's what's on the horizon? Uh, just putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> I'm right there with you. You know, I'm I'm talking to people at least out east with a smaller community to see if we can get some kind of you know local system where contractors might have a whole bunch of wood and we can you know locate it by this kind of you know local. Uh, you know, electronic community where everybody can log on and see what's available uh, at different job sites. That's one thing. Um, 
again, I'd like to try to, you know, engage my clients in doing things along these lines. Um, but it's, it's early. Um, I need to find, you know, people that take the refuse to see if they would sort it. And if, you know, in New York City, we use small dumpsters, like three yarders, hmm. come in and out of buildings. You know, they're kind of easy. If we had two of them, one for wood and one for the rest, um, that would be easy. But then where does the wood go? So I got to, right. you know, we got to look, look at all that stuff, right? Um, well, thank you for for that work, and we'll we'll include some some contact information uh, so people can get in touch because I think there are probably others um, who are listening who who are also passionate about this or maybe just got their their curiosity peaked and and can we can um, maybe help facilitate a little more community building around this this uh, challenge and opportunity. Great. Well, thanks, Wayne. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? It's basically doing small steps that you can do uh, can can help. Um, and don't hesitate to just do one little step. I'm talking to you know people who are doing renovations, uh, clients, and also you know design professionals. It's okay. Just ask. Can we can we recycle? Can we send this to such and such? Uh, are you okay doing that? Uh, I think. It's it's good just to do. It's probably what I'm saying is don't feel like you have to do the whole nine yards all the mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, Do what you can when you can. Yeah, well said. Well, thanks, Wayne. And that was Wayne Tart of the Tart uh, Collaborative. And um, if you, you check out um, the Tart Collaborative, we'll put some links to show notes. You can actually see Wayne's own home there, which is uh, looks. Stunning, Zach. It, uh, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful. setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, as I was saying at, at the outset, I, I really enjoyed uh, listening to that, and I can relate to that idea of um, retaining materials from one building to another. As can can you in your house? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, I see it every day. Yeah, it's cool to have this story, like you know these pieces of your house have this narrative behind them it's fun yeah i mean we didn't really you didn't really address the the time involved in that and that it is a very Mm -hmm. manual um almost labor of love to hand craft um you often have to denail things and you know take them apart very carefully and it's almost like a restoration project and then you know building i know from working with dad it was a great project to do just me and dad but creating – it would have been way cheaper and way quicker to go to Ikea or go to a furniture shop and, and buy a cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a lot more satisfying, uh, but it is more work. So obviously it, it's not necessarily scalable to do in a, in a – um, and currently economical. But I'm, I'm also very interested in new ways, new technologies, things like blockchain that I've been – I've heard about being used and and um, sharing things online about what's available in a particular location and, and you know you, ways that technology may be able to open source in a way or um, crowd share uh, 
products and materials that are, that are leftovers and then people to be able to link up with, with what's available in one place and what can be used in another. So I think there, there are ways to make that uh, resource um, sharing uh, scalable. Um, that's at the sort of front end. I think the other exciting stuff or, or challenge is, is figuring out what to do with composite materials and things like SIP construction is getting very popular. It is popular for, for passive house construction, um, but SIPs are essentially different materials that are laminated or, or glued together and to, to reclaim those materials or reuse that at the end of the life of the building uh, is potentially a lot trickier than more traditional construction where things are just nailed together and you can, you can pull them apart more easily. So I think there are some challenges there for, for scalability of uh, circular economy. Yeah, and it, I mean, that also points to the importance of early design decisions in, in how things are, you know, how assemblies are put together um, in in setting up the a the possibility of a circular economy with buildings and and the and the and the construction stream or the construction waste stream and not you know find, finding ways for their to to not create waste um at the end of the the building life i think I, we, there are some uh, cool resources that uh wayne told me about um that uh, tracy stevens um, has turned him onto some, something called the free cycle, the free cycle network, um, and also um, a, a company, Evergreen Recycling Solutions, that does a bunch of. So the, the free cycle network is more like um, reuse of appliances or vanities and sinks or doors, windows, that kind of thing. And then the uh, Evergreen Recycling Solutions is just their creativity in in recycling stuff to to create. Um, you know, like alternative fuel from wood and lumber or um, crushing uh, masonry and tile and porcelain um, into and using that for road paving, those sorts of things. Um, but uh, there's another, I want to share another uh, thing that's brewing and that with New York Passive House is working on a, here, let me bring it, bring it up on my screen, a regenerative metropolis event so it's called a regenerative metropolis high performance carbon sequestration this is coming up on september 22nd and 23rd and it's a hybrid event um, at um, parsons school of design in person but uh, it'll also be online um, i believe it's free that's that that i think is the the plan and they're going to be diving into um ideas of uh, regenerative design including including things like the concept of urban mining, which is a cool concept where you think of the the existing city as um, full of resources um, that can be mined um, when a building um, is and ends its useful life. Uh, and so so there's a I, I think we're you know we're kind of I think of this exploratory discovery stage this exciting time for for these questions of 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 um, what to do with construction waste how to divert it how to minimize it um, and create the, this circular. It's it, it is a, it it's uh, definitely some really cool stuff to think about and. and um, I quite like the suggestion that Wayne had there of um, 
different people in the in the process of design construction uh, taking responsibility, and I quite like the idea of, of specifiers being agents for change and requiring um, or, or you're writing a requirement as part of a specification that either uh, responsibility is is taken by the suppliers to um, deal with, with packaging or deal with um, offcuts or even uh, you know, further along um, taking responsibility for, for those products that are included in the, um, in the build. We're doing quite a lot of work with embodied carbon at the moment and uh, construction waste is a, is a massive part of the embodied carbon of, of new builds. So we, we have to account not just for the, the concrete and the timber and the steel and, and all the materials and the glass that, that goes into the finished product. That's relatively easy to, to sum all that up and figure out what the embodied carbon uh, uh, greenhouse emissions from getting all those materials. But for every piece of concrete, every piece of timber that finishes in the building, there's, there's a whole bunch more that is, ends up in, as offcuts. So that has to also be accounted for. And the, the more we can reduce those offcuts or, or recycle those back into a, a manufacturing process or reuse them somewhere else, that can be used to offset the embodied carbon of either the, the, the original project or or, or the, the project that they end up getting used on. So I think this will become more and more important as people get more detailed with their uh, embodied carbon analysis as well, which we're seeing a lot more of at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't know if you saw the World Resources Institute uh, uh, report on timber as a carbon sequestration strategy and was bringing up these these questions of offcuts as uh, also the amount of the... of um, a tree um, or a forest that's left on in the ground or on site um, during harvesting, and that that often is not accounted for in the carbon mm. accounting, and that's you yeah. know, that actually becomes emissions. It's just all this is so new, and so as we get more detailed, um, then these other understandings crop up and new data crops up, we all want to find solutions that truly do sequester carbon. So we better make sure that that's what we're doing. Another element of that, though, that just come, keeps on coming back is that sense of resource efficiency that you kind of, in some ways, you can't lose if, you, if you're if you in the right, going in the right direction, if you're thinking about just using everything that you use, energy and materials as wisely as possible. Um, and um, so... Maybe the idea of like, you know, um, creating a, using more wood than you would normally use just to sequester carbon, maybe that's not a good idea. So anyway, I don't have, I'm not claiming I have the answers here, but it's a lot of yeah. questions out there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for me, the, the biggest uh, takeaway from this is that it's not enough just to make a, um, a super energy efficient box. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can do that with all sorts of plastics and all sorts of uh, petrochemicals and foams. Yeah. Um, it, it's much better to consider those performance requirements of the operation of the building, but also think about where materials are coming from and how easy it would be to, um, to, to do something with those materials after the useful life of that building and also what those materials are doing 
during the operation of the building, that's something new. That's one of the, the nice um, uh, outcomes of considering passive house along with things like lead or well or, or here green star and home star is that you, you know, also considering construction waste and um, potential toxicity, healthiness and materials, well-being of people um, during the, the operation of the building as well. So you know, the, those, those tools do, do go hand in hand for, for considering some of these wider sustainability uh, a post of Chris Magwood, who a lot of folks, um, at least in North America, um, know his work well around uh, embodied carbon and biogenic materials in particular, and his focus on straw. So we we're you know talking about mass timber, but but on straw as a potential carbon sequestering material, construction uh, material, and um, I, so I'm going to uh, share a, a link to this um, product that's a straw um, insulative panel. Uh, that can be that can be used um, on site and um, is super interesting. I think so. You don't awesome. you, you, straw straw construction. I think we think of like oh, it must be a straw bale, you know, straw bale construction and kind of you know um, a little um, out there in terms of standard practice. Maybe even a little bit hippie. Um, it's super cool, but this is this is more of a something something that could be applied um, in it in kind of standard practice uh yeah. and yeah. has looks like it has some promise so good stuff out there lots of opportunities too all right uh you're still taking a break on um that's right yeah Pass 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 Lives. that's right past Pass accelerator live is uh taking august off um so our We'll be returning on the first Wednesday of September. So for you in in New Zealand, it'll be the first Thursday of September. And we're going to be, uh, we'll have, because it's the first Wednesday of the month, we'll have a 101 session of the show. And it's going to be focused on airtightness and how to achieve airtightness in, in um, buildings. Awesome. All right. But we will be back uh, with another podcast episode next week as well. So we've uh, got a couple of those lined up, lots of interesting people to talk to. So uh, look forward to talking to you then. All right. Um, thank you, Zach. Thanks, Matthew.